Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. Uh, if you've got a smartphone or a device, uh, whatever Bible app you might have, go ahead and take that out. And open up with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be spending our time here today. For those of you who, um, uh, who are joining us here for the first time or you haven't been with us the last several weeks, the, good, the better part of last month or so, we've been working through this series called Canceled. Canceled. And for this series, we've been looking at some hard sayings of Jesus, some difficult teachings of Christ. Because the truth is, it doesn't take very long for you to work through the Gospels in your New Testament and come across moments where Jesus was saying something outrageous. He was saying something outlandish. He was saying something outright offensive to whole categories, groups of people. I mean, I mean, again, we said it before, but we'll say it again. Had Jesus, if Jesus were on Twitter today, if Jesus had a podcast today, if Jesus had a YouTube channel, a TikTok, whatever, he would be canceled. In fact, we know that to be true because last week we celebrated Good Friday, the death of Jesus, which was the ultimate form of cancellation. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't just get deplatformed. He didn't just get suspended. He didn't get banned from Twitter. He didn't get blocked on, on YouTube. I mean, he literally was killed, took his very life. Why? Because of some of the hard things that he taught and he said during his earthly ministry. And throughout the series, we've been unpacking some of these heart sayings, some of these teachings of Christ uh, that ultimately got him killed. And we've been pondering them as followers of Jesus. And, and if we're serious about following this Christ, we've got to be serious about all of what Jesus offered, all of what Jesus taught us. And so we've been unpacking some of those things. And this morning, as we close out the series, I want us to look at, yet again, another heart saying of Jesus. And this morning, we come to a passage of Scripture where Jesus is ruffling some feathers again. You know, imagine being like the disciples of Jesus and being like, you know, like, oh, man, here he goes again, man. Like, just, Jesus, tone it down, brother. Like, you know, like, how many, how many times are you going to, like, poke at things? And, you know, like, don't you see? People are literally upset. with They're walking away. They're plotting to kill you. Like, you know, like Peter was his PR guy. I bet, like, you know, like Jesus, you know, you, you got it. You got to be aware, you know, like, you, you got to tone it down. But here, yet again, Jesus is leaning in. He's ruffling some feathers. And this time, it's part of a larger sermon that Jesus preached. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount covers all of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Imagine being in a church service where Jesus is preaching for three full chapters. I mean, like, you know, I, I try to keep it nice, sweet, short, tight. Like, you know, Jesus, like, he, he went on. The brother went on for a while, three full chapters, and he is ruffling some feathers he is poking at some issues. I mean, you want to talk about the hard teachings of Christ? Take some time. Read through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and you'll know what I mean. But today, we're not going to unpack all of them. Today, we just want to look at just a small portion of that sermon. Matthew chapter 7, specifically verses 21 through 23. And today's reading is going to be read by Megan. And so, Megan, why don't you come on up and uh, read for us. We gave you an easy one. This is a nice short one. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23. We'll also have the text up here on the screen for you to look along. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your workers of lawlessness. Awesome. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. Yep. Friends, uh, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever done something uh, where you were convinced you were doing it the right way until you realize you've been doing it the wrong way the whole time? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Um, perhaps you were driving to a certain destination that you've never been to. But boy, you were somehow convinced you knew how to get there. Oh, just one glance at Google Maps is all you needed. And so it was all up here. I know where I'm going, right? Like, I know where I'm going. And so you're driving on I-80 East, and boy, you're driving with confidence. You know you know what I'm talking about? Like, you got the Spotify plane. You're like, man, I, I'm good, only to realize, oh, I'm supposed to be on I-80 West. You're going in the opposite direction. Uh-oh. And you realize I've been going the wrong way this whole time. Or maybe, maybe you've had some experience assembling some furniture. I don't know if, you, if, if, if this resonates with you. When my wife and I got married, uh, we went to our local Ikea, and we bought out just about half of the warehouse. I mean, I swear, we had boxes on top of boxes. We had our minivan packed to the brim, and we brought all these boxes. And working after working through a few of these boxes, I got to tell you, I consider myself quite the Ikea handyman. I, got, I was like, my, my, I, I know how to work an Allen wrench. You know, like, this is, this is good. I know what I'm doing here. I got to a point where I got to, like, my 26th box, and I said, babe, I think I got this. I don't need, the, I don't need these instructions. I, got, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing until I looked at the finished furniture and then I, that I just assembled, and it looked more like an abstract piece of art than a dresser. You know, I'm like, that, that, something's not right here. Uh-oh, I was assembling it wrong the whole time. Now, listen, with mistakes like these, this, these are silly mistakes. With mistakes like these, it's not the end of the world, right? It, it's not the end of the world if you miss a turn and you, you end up uh, on the wrong side of the highway. All you got to do is... Get off the nearest exit and turn around. It's a pain, yeah, but, but it's not unresolvable, right? It's, it's not undoable. Uh, you know, when you make a mistake in assembling a piece of furniture, yeah, sure, it's a pain, but you can disassemble it. You can take it apart, and then you can reassemble it. You essentially have a do-over. In the game of golf, this is called a mulligan, right? You're like, you take a bad shot, you shank it, you whatever, like, and you, it's like, all right, that's it. you get a bad shot, you, you get a mulligan, you get a do-over, you can, you can try again, take another shot. The scenario that Jesus paints for us here today, he doesn't really give us any mulligans, does he? The scenario that Jesus paints for us here in Matthew chapter 7 doesn't really provide us with any get off the nearest exit and pull a Yui here. It doesn't really provide us an opportunity to say, no problem, just take apart the furniture and just reassemble it, follow the instructions, and then you're good. In fact, there's a sense of finality to this teaching of Christ that for some of us, when you read it, it instantly raises your blood level. It raises the stakes to these incredible heights. The absoluteness of this statement of Jesus is actually a little terrifying. Because I mean, just think about it for a moment and just imagine with me, right? You're already, you've come to the end of your life and you're all ready to enter in through the pearly gates of heaven. 
And you're standing in line, and you got your ticket. You're waiting in line, right? Like, and and you're, 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 the, the line is moving slowly but surely. The line is moving, and you're curious, so you peek ahead at the line, and you look all the way down at the front of the line, and you see Jesus. Jesus is at the gate greeting everyone with a smile. You know, he's, he's, he's hugging people. He's embracing. He's high-fiving people into the kingdom of God. You know, like, you get a seat at the table. You get a seat. At, you're like, come on in. Come on. And he's said, welcoming people into eternity with him that is marked by, by abounding grace, everlasting peace, and eternal bliss. Right? And, 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 and you're like, I can't wait. And then it's finally your turn. You get to the front of the line, except this time, Jesus doesn't have so much a smile on his face. Rather, he's got a look of confusion. He's perplexed. And he looks at you, and he says, I'm sorry, do I know you? And in that moment, you feel a little panic start to rise up. You're like, with a little quiver in your voice, you're like, Jesus, come on, you know, it's, it's, it's me, it's your boy, you know, like, like you know me, we're, we're, we're good, right? And in that moment, you, you start laying out your case, you start pleading your case, and you start laying out all the reasons why you belong on the other side of that gate. And after all of that, Jesus turns to you, and he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Dang. Right? Ima- imagine a little terrifying, no? A little terrifying. Now, look, if you're anything like me, right now you're asking the question, okay, how do I make sure that never happens to me? Okay, how do I make sure? How do I make sure that I don't think I'm going the right way? but that I know I'm going the right way? How do I make sure that I don't think I'm doing the right things, but how do I make sure that I am actually doing the right? How do I ensure that Jesus would never say those words to me? Now, look, church, what I don't want to do here this morning is preach a sermon that's like, you know, like, Three simple steps to get into heaven. You know, like, that, that's, that's not what I'm here to preach. I, I don't want to preach, like, three easy ways to ensure your spot in the kingdom of God. You know, like, that's, it's, for me, that would seem like we're missing the point of what Jesus is actually trying to say here. Because how many of you know, Jesus is not just trying to get us into heaven. He wants you in heaven. He wants to spend eternity with you, and he wants you to spend an eternity with him. There is no doubt about that. But Jesus does not, he is not just trying to get us into heaven. Jesus is trying to change the way we live here on earth. He's trying to change the way we think about life here on earth. And when we look at this passage, we discover a few things. In this short little passage, there are a few things I want to point out that we may need to change during our time here on earth. And the first change we may need to make is moving from lip service to full surrender. Moving from lip service, God bless you, moving from lip service to full surrender. You know, the first thing that Jesus acknowledges here in this passage are people who call him Lord, right, Lord. 
And in this recognition as Jesus as Lord, Jesus immediately distinguishes, differentiates two categories of people. He says, okay, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus is saying there is a vast difference between calling me Lord and fully surrendering to me as your Lord. It's one thing to recognize me as Lord. It's something entirely different to live as if that statement means something to you. Right? To live as if Jesus is actually Lord of my life. You see, that's the difference between lip service and full surrender. God, God put it slightly different in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 29, he says something very similar. Uh, he's got another hard word for the people of God. He says it this way. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. You know, they, they give me great lip service, but their hearts are far from me. You see, on the surface level, we can see this as the difference between someone who calls themselves a Christian versus someone who lives, thinks, behaves, acts, breathes like a a true Christian. Folks, we all know people in our lives, right, who would identify themselves as Christians, you know, they, they may have grown up in a semi-religious home. Maybe they went to church every once in a while. They would say grace at mealtimes before bed. They would say they believe in God. And so when they're asked if they would consider themselves a Christian, they would respond by saying, sure, yeah, I'm a Christian. But is that what we're talking about here? Or is a Christian more like that person who faithfully attends church on Sundays every week? They do good in their community. They're they're part of a small group Bible study. They even serve in different ways. They give an offering when it's time to give financially. They don't curse. They don't drink. They don't party. They don't sleep around. On the outside, they would check all the boxes for the ideal Christian. But friends, listen now. Could it be that even that is considered lip service in the eyes of our Lord. Because the truth is this, these are all good things. I'm not trying to knock these things. Like go, being part, regularly attending church is good. That's a good thing. We, we, we prayed that earlier this, at, at the start of the service. That's a, that's a good thing. It is, it is good for you to be part of a small group Bible study where you're challenged and you grow in small group community. It is good and healthy for your soul to serve and give and live with this open-handed, open-hearted posture. But how many of you know it is possible to do all of those things and still yet fail to fully surrender your heart to Jesus? Lip service. You see, the issue of authenticity for the life of a believer has never been about spiritual activities or just religious platitudes or the quantity, the amount of good that you do in this world. The issue of authenticity for the life of a believer has always been about and will always hinge on the issue of lordship. Lordship matters immensely. Who is Lord of your life? Who is the one governing your steps? Who is the one charting the course for your future? Who is the ultimate authority that you are listening to on a regular basis? Who is the one that you are regularly lending your ear to? The answer to that question will determine the issue of lordship in your life. And I'm telling you right now, you better get that one sorted out sooner than later because Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord really knows what they're saying, 
Not everyone who claims, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not just looking for lip service. He's looking for fully surrendered hearts that would bow to the lordship of Jesus in their life. And you want to know how to tell whether or not your heart is fully surrendered to him? It shows up in this next point. See, the second change we may need to make while here on earth is moving from my plans to his will. My plans to his will. You you see, if you want to know whether Jesus is actually Lord of your life, if you want to know whether you're simply giving him lip service or you're actually fully surrendered your heart to him, all you need to do is ask yourself, am I more concerned with living out my plans or am I preoccupied with doing the will of my father? Because Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But here it is. The one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. That's my guy. That's my girl. The one who does the will of my father. You know, one of the questions that I get asked most often probably is, how do I know the will of God for my life? Right? Like, how do, I know, how do I know that I'm living at the center of God's will and his desires for my life? You know, working with college students like yourselves, this is a question that burns on many of your minds and your hearts. As you're thinking about next steps in life, your career, all right, your major, some of you are in the process of like praying about, should I change my major? Should I, oh my gosh, I'm so deep into it. Like, is this what God would have for me? And then what are the ramifications beyond that? Like, those are things that are weighing heavy on your heart. Some of you are in dating relationships and you're asking, God, is this a person that you have for me to marry? Is this my future spouse? Is this, is this someone that you're calling me to spend you know, happily ever after with? Is this, is this what you would have for me? And, and you're thinking about half a dozen other pressing, vitally important things that are weighing on your soul. And in the midst of all of that, you're asking the fundamental question, God, what do you want me to do here? How many of you have ever been in that place before, right? Like, I, I, regularly, I find my place. God, what do you want me to do here? What's your will for my life? And man, as much as I'd love to lay out a formulaic method for you this morning to foolproof your life from stepping out, out of bounds of God's will, I don't have that for you today. There, there are lots of good information out there that you can Google search and lots of great resources to how to discover God's will for your life and all these things. But, but can I just share a few of my personal learnings in my own journey of as I've, I've tried to discern the will of God for my life? I just, I just want to share just a few here real quickly. The first is this. I believe direction matters more than execution. I believe direction matters more than execution. In other words, I think God is more concerned with the direction of your life as opposed to getting things in life perfectly right and executing them to the T and executing the will of God perfectly right. You see, I don't think the will of God is like a pass or fail thing where like if you get the will of God right, you pass, but if you get it wrong, it's like an instant fail. I don't think the will of God works that way. In fact, I think the the following God is, it's much more like a lifelong journey that moves us in the direction of holiness, righteousness, Christ-likeness. And that's not a pass or fail thing. That is literally a lifelong process. That's precisely what sanctification is, by the way. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul, the apostle Paul writes this, it is God's will. You want to know God's will? 
awesome. Here it is. You ready for it? Here's God's will for your life, that you should be sanctified. Sanctification, by definition, is a lifelong process of being formed into the image of Christ. And guess what, friends? During that process, there are going to be days when you get it right. And there are going to be many days when you don't. See, that's a lifelong process that God calls us to. But you see, the heart of God is, is not that you get it right every single time, but that you are moving in the direction of his holiness, of his righteousness, of his son's Christ-likeness. So I think it'd be more helpful for us to think uh, when it comes to the will of God, discovering the will of God, thinking about it more in line with long-term direction rather than perfect execution. I don't think that's what God is looking for. Are we moving in the right direction? The second uh, thought I want to offer up here is I think we need to remember that God's grace is big enough to redeem any missteps. Some of us need to breathe this in deeply. God's grace is big enough to redeem any missteps. Again, if this life is not about executing the will of God perfectly and flawlessly, we need to know that we're going to misstep every once in a while. We're not always going to get it right. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, he tells us that on this side of heaven, we see through a glass dimly. You know what that means? That means you're not always going to see the will of God perfectly and flawlessly, which means that you're going to get it wrong sometimes. Okay, that's just the reality of living in a flawed, fallen, Genesis 3 kind of world. We live in a flawed world where we don't see the will of God as much as I wish that weren't the case, as much as I would, I would love to see the blueprint of my life so clearly. Give me the five-year plan. God, give me the 10-year plan. Show it to me. That's not how God works. We see through a glass dimly on this side of heaven. And so the best we can do on this side of heaven is exercise wisdom and discernment. And move in the direction towards God. But I'm telling you right now, there will be times where we don't get it right. And in those moments, friends, let's just thank God that his grace is big enough to redeem any of those missteps. Amen? His grace is massive. It's all covering enough to know that any misstep that I might take, God's still got it. He's still got it under control. I mean, friends, you got to understand, this was incredibly liberating for me as someone who was deathly afraid to make wrong choices in my life. Like, anyone struggle with the paralysis of the analysis? Anyone struggle with overanalyzing stuff, right? Like, some of us agree, like, you know, you overthink everything to a point where, like, you're crippled. You can't even make a choice. You can't even, you can't even have a solid thought to stand on because you're, just, you, you're, you're so afraid to make the wrong choice. And that was me for so much of my life. And there's some remnants of that even here today, even in my life that I'm still wrestling with. And then I had to remind myself, isn't the entire story of the Bible about a God who consistently takes the missteps of an entire human race And he redeems all of those moments for his glory. So what am I freaking out about? (laughs) Just, you know, exercise Holy Spirit wisdom and discernment and take a step. And trust that God's grace is going to catch any missteps that I might take. Breathe that in deeply. God's grace is big enough to redeem any of our missteps. And then the last last piece, uh, lesson that, that I've learned in Discerning the will of God, discovering the will of God is lastly this. Pray about it. 
actually pray about it. You know, a lot of us say we want to know the will of God, but what we really mean is, gee, wouldn't it be nice to know the will of God here? I wish God would show me. And then we move on, and we make our own choices and our own decisions. But you know, anytime I needed direction from God, I had to diligently seek it out. Like any major life decision I had, any, any pressing choices I need, I needed guidance on, I had to devote actual time to prayer on it. You know, when folks come to me with a major life decision, and they're trying to sort through, sort through the will of God, you know, like I'll have a lot of these conversations at Irving's, at Panera, I'm sitting across the table from your peers, some of you, you know, like, Dan, tell me, what do I do here? <laughs> You know, like, well, what, is, what, is, what does God want me to do here? I don't, I, don't, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. And I'll often respond by saying, have you prayed about it? And they'll say, yeah, 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 with some hesitation. They're like, I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I prayed about it. And what they really mean is, I've thought about it a lot. You know what I mean? Like, I'm consumed with it. It's on my mind 24-7. I'm thinking about it. Dan, I'm, trust me, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm thinking about it a lot. The truth is, they haven't really prayed about it. And so then, I'll almost always instruct them, which no one ever really loves this instruction, but I'll always say, why don't you take a day, just take one day, and just get away with you and the Lord. Take a journal with you. Just get off campus, maybe just go for a long walk. Just take a day and actually go to God with this. And listen to what your Heavenly Father might say. You want to know His will? Don't come to me. I don't know the will for your God's will for your life, but He does. And so we're gonna stop this conversation until you have that conversation. Once you have that conversation, then we can process. Was what you heard actually from God? Were, were you discerning correctly? Were you hearing from God? And we can, we can use that as a sounding board. But until you actually pray about it, you just kind of want to know the will of God. You know, many of you know the, the passage in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, right? You guys know this? Some of us have that tattooed on our bodies. You know, for I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future, right? Like, amen. That's the will of God. You want to know what the next verse says? The next verse says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. More often than not, the will of God is not necessarily hidden from us per se or intentionally covered from us. It just needs to be sought out. We need to seek after it. And so, so pray about it, really. Pray about it. And he'll show you, I promise. God will show you. Some of you are like, I'm not gonna do that whole day thing that Dan's talking about, like, because I, I don't really think he's gonna speak to me. I don't think he's gonna, I'm not, I don't think I'm really gonna get anything. No, trust me. Anytime I've had a major decision in my life where I was wrestling with the will of God, this was something that I implemented without fail every time I would take a day, a 24-hour period, I would just get away, and that would be my singular focus. God, I'm coming to you with this in prayer. And without fail, he responds. Without fail, he shows up. He's a good God. He wants to show you his will, but he wants you to seek him for it.
Seek him with all your hearts, and you will find him. And so we move from, 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 from lip service to full surrender, from my plans to his will, and then finally, we move from doing good to knowing him. We won't spend a ton of time here because we talked some about this already earlier, but we move from doing good to knowing him. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? In other words, Jesus, don't you see all this good that we did? We did so much good for you. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, we must never confuse doing good in the name of Jesus for knowing the person of Jesus. We must never confuse doing good in the name of Jesus for knowing the person of Jesus. Our ultimate pursuit in life is to know him and to be known by him. We, 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 I, I read it earlier in, in the service, Psalm 27, David, one thing I ask of the Lord, I want to dwell in your presence. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to seek you. I want to seek your presence. Our ultimate pursuit in life is to know him. Believe it or not, friends, your heavenly father is not looking for a bunch of worker bees for the kingdom who would busy themselves with good deeds and lots of spiritual religious effort. Believe it or not, your heavenly father wants sons and daughters who would delight in his loving presence, who would just enjoy being with him. You know, the truth is this is something that's not taught very well in the church today. This is not something that comes to us intuitively, especially in a performance-driven culture, right? This idea of just being with God. I remember uh, for a lot of my life, I lived my life trying to please God. I grew up in the church, and so I grew up, you know, um, you know with, with, with quite a bit of, like, religious obligations and religious duties. Like, you know, some of my Catholic brothers and sisters call this the, the, the Catholic guilt, you know, like of like this, the, the guilt that, and it's not just in the Catholic church. I mean, it's, it's a lot of places, a lot of faith traditions have this of, like, putting these obligatory duties on you in order to please God, Right? Like you do all these things to please God. Some of us would call this legalism, right? And I live much of my life that way. And then finally, a, a, a friend lovingly came along and they said, Dan, just, just stop all of it. Like, aren't you tired of performing for your dad who's not looking for any of that in the first place? Isn't it, isn't it exhausting? I was a college student. I was about 18, 19, whatever, at, at this time. And all I knew in my Christian walk was perform for Jesus, do all of these religious things, and do all the, you know, like, you fill in the blanks and check those boxes, do all those things, and, and please God. That's your goal. Please God. And here's how you please God. You do all these things. And this friend was like, did you know that your father's already pleased with you. Just stop and just be. I swear, this friend was speaking a foreign language. At the time, I was like, I don't know what you're saying. 
You know what I mean? Like, my, my brain was short-circuiting, quite literally. Like, she, they, they were saying, just, just be, just, just be. I'm like, expound. What do you mean, just be? They were like, just, just be with God. Just be in his presence. Kind of, how, kind of how David was talking about in Psalm 27. Like, just, like I want to delight in, in God's I just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Like, what kind of good Christian just sits around gazing, you know? Like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a good Christian young man. Like, I'm going to please God. I'm going to do these things. And, and this friend was like, no, 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 no. Just, just be with him. Be in his presence. Friends, I'm telling you right now, it took me a long time. You know, some habits are hard to break, especially when you've been ingrained. It's been ingrained. It's, it's taken me a long time to learn that lesson. But in many ways, I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at with this passage. He's trying to move us from doing good, and doing good is good, right? But, but he's, he wants more than that for you. He wants more than that for his sons and daughters. He wants to move us from doing good to truly knowing him and us being known by him. And sometimes the best way to know someone is to just be with them. Just be. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And as they get set up, I just want to close out with this. Church family, I want you to hear me. Jesus doesn't just want us to get into heaven. He does, but he doesn't just want to get us into heaven. He wants to change the way we think about life here on earth. He wants us to change the way we live here on earth. And some of those changes may require us to shift from lip service to full, total, complete, abandoned surrender. Where we don't hold any part of our lives back, but we say, Jesus, my life's an open book. I'm all yours. I'm fully, completely surrendered to you. Some of us may have to make that shift from my plans, my agenda, my wants, my desire, my ambitions, my goals. We, some of us may have to shift from that to God, your will. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. But you know who will? The one who makes that shift. That says, it's not about my plans. It's never been about my plans. How foolish of me. The scripture tells us, Lord, your plans are better. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher than mine. And so, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to make this deal. I'm going to exchange my plans for your will. And still yet, for some of us, we need to make that shift from a performance-based faith to a presence-based faith where we don't go living our lives just seeking to do more good in the name of Jesus. Lord, didn't you see? We did all these things in your name. He's like, awesome, but I never knew you. You never knew me. We didn't know each other. We got to make that shift. And, and friends, this shift doesn't happen like that. This shift for me, going from a performance-based faith to a presence-based faith, took years and years. 
Again, as much as I can be transparent with you, there's still a part of me that wrestles with that. There's still a part of me in my default mode, I go to performance. I don't know how to just be a beloved son of God without feeling like I need to prove my worth before my father. Friends, as we come to this last Sunday, I realize there are those of us who are going to be moving on and graduating and moving to bigger and better things. And I can't think of a better exhortation to give you on your way out. To live in a way where you are fully, wholly surrendered to Jesus. That, that you weren't just fully surrendered during your time here at Penn State, but like it wasn't just a seasonal thing in other words, but this is like your life commitment. That no matter where you go, no matter where you end up, you're gonna live like this, open-handed with an open heart, fully surrendered to Jesus. I'm not gonna make my life about lip service or offering up religious platitudes, but man, my heart, my heart is fully His. For those of you who are graduating, you know, some of you, you got to make that shift. My plans, his will. I'm leaving my plans at the foot of the cross. Lord, won't you give me your plans, your agenda for my life, your will. I got some hopes and dreams, but I'm going to submit those things under your lordship. And if these are things that you would have for me, then great. But at the end of the day, I don't need them. I need what you have for me. And trust that he'll show you. He's a good God. He doesn't want to keep his heart hidden from you. He wants to show you. And still yet, for those of us who are graduating, we may need to make that shift from doing good making my life about knowing him. Paul said, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything in this life is rubbish, it's garbage, it's trash compared to the worth that comes from knowing Jesus. There is no greater gift than the knowledge of Christ. And so seniors, I wanna pray that for you here this morning. If you've been with us here at ACF for some time, um, friend, I just want you to know I consider it a great joy and a privilege to have pastored you, to have had you as part of our church community here. And as you leave this community, and as you go on to find another community of faith, another church family to rattle and shake up the kingdom of darkness with, we as your church family here that you're leaving behind, we want to pray blessing on you. Similar to how we commissioned our new leaders here, seniors, we want to commission you into the places that where God would lead you. And so at this time, if you're a graduating senior, I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet right where you are. Let's go ahead and do that right now. I know that we got some seniors in the, in the room. Yep, we've got a couple of seniors rising up. Awesome. Awesome. Now, um, we're going to do something a little bit different here because we have seniors kind of spread out. Um, if you have a, a senior close by you, uh, it's going to require some movement. So um, 
move around, okay? Uh, in just a moment. Um, we're going we're gonna to actually be the New Testament church for these students who are, these friends who are leaving and graduating, and uh, whether it's grad school or uh, starting their career, some of, some of our friends are getting married here soon, and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. But we as the church family, we have the great privilege of coming alongside these friends and praying blessing and commissioning them in their next phase. And so we're going to ask uh, that you gather around them and just go ahead and, and lay in on them. And, um, and we're gonna, I'm going to pray for us, and I'd love for you to join in in prayer. So at this time, go ahead. Let's all, let's all stand up and gather. Find a senior around you and um, go ahead. And, if, uh, and, and, and let me just say, friends, um, the seniors, if, if you feel a little weird about people touching you, just give them a little shoulder shimmy and just shake them off. That's all. That's all. But, but if you're okay with people laying their hands on you and praying for you, uh, just, just receive this. Receive this as a prayer. And um, um, we'd, love to, we'd love to pray for you. Yeah, gather around some of our friends here. That's awesome. Church, uh, let, me, let me say a prayer for us here. Lord, what a beautiful thing it is to journey with friends and folks in our lives for a season of our lives uh, and to receive the blessing of their life in, in our lives. And for many of these folks who are leaving, they, um, I pray that you would encourage their spirits to know that they have been an encouragement to us, to other friends on campus. Uh, these are folks who have left an impact in some way, shape, or form in different spheres of influence, different circles of friendships. And God, we thank you for that. That is a blessing that we receive as a church through their lives. And now we as the church wanna pray blessing on them. As they leave, as they move on, we ask that the presence of God would be so strong in their lives we pray that their steps would be governed by the Lordship of Jesus. I pray that they wouldn't live their lives simply offering up lip service, but everything in their core being would be surrendered to the Lordship of you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that these friends would, Lord, live in a way where, where they are constantly saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I will do whatever it is you want me to do. I thank you that these friends who are standing, I, I know for many of them, that is their heart cry. Lord, would you honor that in them here today? Honor that heart, honor that prayer in them. As they cry out for your will, would you reveal it to them in the name of Jesus? And as they continue to press on to know you, Holy Spirit of God, would you bring fresh revelation of the person of Jesus. And may they never confuse ministry or good work or tasks in the name of Jesus for truly knowing the person of Jesus. I pray that they would know you more and more and that their faith journey would only deepen as they transition into the next chapter of their lives. And so we pray blessing and we commission them here today to go and do bigger and better things for the kingdom of God wherever they end up. And we thank you for them once again. In Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray and all God's people said, 
Amen, amen. Hey, let's congratulate our seniors and job well done. Job well done. Hey, church, go ahead and go back to your place and stay standing as we close out with this final song. The team is going to lead us here. Team, won't you lead us?